Good morning, my dear friends, beloved brothers and sisters, and the body of Christ. I want to welcome you today into another study of the wonderful word of the Lord. The Bible is our strength. If we go into the Bible, we open it up, we find what is on God's mind. And again today, that's what we want to do. In a world that we are living where there's so much noise around us, so many people who want our attention, I want to implore you to come back to the Word of God and to find out what is on God's mind. Now, as you can remember, we were walking with Jesus through the Gospel of Mark. And what a wonderful person to walk with. We can learn so much from Jesus, how he works with his disciples and the people around him. He uses a lot of things to give us a message, to teach us, to build our faith. And through all of that, he shows us compassion, mercy and grace. And it is true to say that in him we find our justification. So there is no better person to walk on this earth with than Jesus Christ. Now I know you might say, but he's not physically here, preacher. And that is where you've got it wrong. He is. Because he says in the word that where two or three gathers in his name, that there he will be present with us. And if it takes me to preach the gospel to you and you are hearing the message on the other side of this uh, audio device, then he's with us. And how wonderful is it then to listen from him and to, to allow him to build our faith. Now, last week we saw Jesus healing a mute boy and we understood that the scribes had a, a little bit of a commotion with the nine disciples who was in the valley. Because they, in their, in their custom back in the day, they said that you need to know a demon's name before you can drive him out of a person. And if that person is mute, how can you find the name of that person? But you and I saw what happened when Jesus Christ came on the scene. That demon immediately responded and Jesus then uh, healed the boy from that spirit. So we also saw that Jesus turned to his disciples when I asked him the question. They said, but Lord, why is it that we couldn't get this demon spirit out? And you and I remember back earlier on in the ministry when Jesus sent them out two by two, that they came back and they give an account that they were able to drive demon spirits out of people or to heal people. And now the question begs, why not this one? And Jesus says to them, these ones, these spirits came out via prayer and fasting. And we saw last week that that pointed towards a constant communication with God and also a disciplined life because fasting makes you humble. You withhold things that your body crave for. And it takes a lot of humility not to step up in your own strength and trying to fight that. And now we find, uh, as we continue and look at the narrative in Mark chapter 9, verse 30, we're going to find them walking on their way to Capernaum. And this is their way back to Jerusalem. And Jesus is telling them something important. He gives them an important message. Uh, today, I want to talk to you about what we can teach, what we can learn from a child. What can a child teach us about serving others? In fact, the, the, the message is lessons from a child. 
Now let's read on from Mark chapter 9 verse 30. He says, And they departed thence and passed through Galilee, and he would not that any man should know it. And here we find that he wouldn't want everybody to know what he did by healing this mute boy. And the reason for that, as I've said so many times before, is that his time has not come yet. What time am I talking about? It is the time for him to go to the cross and to be identified publicly that he is the Son of God, the Son of Man, and that he would die for our sins. That time hasn't arrived yet, and Jesus didn't want them to, to bring that time forward or to reveal that too early. In verse 31, For he taught his disciples and said to them, The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of men, and they shall kill him. And after that he is killed, he shall rise the third day. But they understood not that saying, and were afraid to ask him. Now I often wonder why they were afraid to ask this question. They were with him. But I also believe it's because they did not understand him. If you look at verse 32, he says, But they understood not that saying. And I reckon if I was standing in the crowd and I didn't understand something, you know, so often people say, I'm going to ask a dumb question, or they don't want to ask the question because they think it's a dumb question. And maybe that was part of that. But it also says, and they were afraid to ask him this question. But let's first of all see what Jesus taught them. He says to them, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of men. Now, first of all, he used the, the, the title Son of Man. And you've heard me preach this so many times uh, before. And I'm going to say that again for those who didn't hear this. Maybe there's somebody new is listening to the audio. And I want to explain it to them. He uses this title, Son of Man. What does it mean? Because he is also the Son of God. Remember in uh, John chapter 3, verse 16, when uh, John writes down in the gospel, he says, For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son. That is Jesus Christ. He's the Son of God. Now, when he uses the title, Son of God, that points towards Jesus while he was still with the Father. And, and, and we find it so often in the Bible when he, he says Christ Jesus. Talks about his deity first before his humanity. Christ Jesus. And here we find Jesus in heaven with the Father before he comes to the earth. And he's called the Son of God. Now whenever you read through your Gospels, and you see he talk about the Son of God, think in your mind that he's referring to Jesus in the presence of the Father. And here, now with the disciples, he says, but the Son of Man, what does it mean? Well, that means that Jesus Christ came down and he lived amongst us as the Son of Man. He was born in a natural birth through a virgin called Mary on the earth and he lived amongst us as one of us now you recall back back in the book of job when job went through all of his trouble and his hardship and so on you remember that job asked that question he said whom shall intercede for me i can't reach god he won't answer me who is there upon the face of the earth who can reach from us 
on the earth into heaven towards God. Well, the good news today, my friend, is that He did come, the Son of God, and He was born on the earth, and He's now the Son of Man, and it is Him who reaches out from the earth to heaven as the Son of Man, understanding our struggles. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews that He was tempted just as we were tempted, yet without sin. And it also says that He is now sitting on the right hand of God where He intercedes for us on a daily basis. So when Jesus talks about the Son of Man, He talks about Him walking on the earth, walking in the form of Jesus Christ, humanity and deity. And He says now one interesting thing. He says that the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. Now, I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound good. To be handed over into the hands of men. If I look at mankind today and everything they find in their hands, they destroy it. Or they want to destroy it through their selfish ambitions. They want to have things their way. And let's face it, even today that Jesus Christ is not to the conformity of mankind today, as it was in his day. We understand that even then when he was there, that they didn't want him. They wanted to kill him. His own people wanted to kill him. That is being delivered into the hands of men. And he follows this up. He says, what's going to happen with the Son of Man when he's going to be in the hands of men? Well, and they shall kill him, he says. And after that, he shall be risen on the third day. Now, my dear friend and my beloved brother and sister, you find an interesting thing happening here. Jesus always, when he talks about himself going to die, mentions the resurrection. And that is so wonderful. He talks about the bad and brings us the good, the resurrection. This is so wonderful to understand. And from here on, and whenever Jesus talks about his death, he also talks about his resurrection. Now, I want to quickly just zone in on one word here for you. He says the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of men. Why is this important that I highlight this word? For the fact that his death was not an accident, nor is it a murder. You and I know what a murder is. It is a meticulous planning to kill somebody, is to put a plan together. Now, Back in the day, they might have thought that it was their plan, but it was not. This is the divine plan from God himself. He uses the word delivered, and it's not saying the Son of Man fell into the hands of men or were captured into the hands of men. No, Jesus says the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of men. That decision lied with the Father and lied with Jesus Christ. And we find this when Paul writes to the church in Rome. In Romans 4.25, who was delivered? And he's obviously talking here about Jesus Christ. I am parachuting into the passage and I implore you to read the whole chapter. But for our purpose, I'm looking at the word delivered. And he says, who was delivered up? Why? Why was he delivered up? Because of our offenses. 
That's the answer. That is the divine plan from God. And that is what Jesus said that he was going to be delivered into the hands of men. He says, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. I love that verse and I implore you to open up your Bible and to sit with Romans 4.20 and meditate upon it. 25. Because he talks there about our offenses and let it be known that it is our offenses, our sin that put Jesus Christ on the cross. He went to the cross to die for our offenses. But the great news, just like Jesus said it to his disciples, is that with the death comes the resurrection. My dear friend, let this preacher tell you today, we are serving a risen Christ. That's the good news and that is your and my justification. If he was still dead, if he was still in the grave, we would not have the justification we have today because it would have showed that he was just a mere man like any other person. But it's not true because you, you and I know that Peter said it. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Later on in Romans, uh, in, in, in the book of Romans, uh, Paul again writes about this in Roman, Romans 8 verse 32. He says, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for all of us. What is he doing here? Jesus said he was delivered into the hands of men. But Paul goes one step further. He says, That delivery came from the Father. He says it right here in verse 32. Who did not spare his own son, the Son of God but delivered him, the Son of Man, up for us all. How shall he not him also freely give us all things? So let it be known today that this is the divine plan of God that has happened um, on that road. Now I want to just highlight something out of verse 32 for you as well. In verse 32 he says, But they understood not that saying and were afraid to ask him. I find when Luke writes about this in Luke chapter 9, a little bit more. In Luke chapter 9 verse 45, Luke writes about their reaction in this way. He says, but they understood not the same. And listen now, he says, and it was hid from them that they perceived it not and they feared to ask him of that saying. Luke goes one step further than Mark wrote. And remember, Mark is, is, is writing the gospel, listening to Peter. But Luke says that they did not understand it because it was hidden from them. It was not open to their mind. They couldn't understand it. And when I read that and reflected and meditated upon this message, there's a scripture verse that jumped up in my mind straight away. And it's in Deuteronomy chapter 29, 29. Because it says there, The secret things belong unto the Lord our God. But those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. Now, my friend, listen to what the, the Holy Spirit tells us here. He says, The secret things of God belongs to Him. Latin uses a beautiful word. It says the Deus abscanditos, 
That means it's obscure to us. We can't see it. Now, I want to clarify this as well. It's not because it is a new revelation, like a lot of preachers, you know, self-proclaimed preachers or apostles and prophets wants to come and say, this is something new. No, it's always been there. The only thing here is it is obscure to us. It is hidden from us. We can't see it now because God do not allow us to see this now. Now, if I've got a property, you know, if I've got a pen and that pen belongs to me, I've got authority over that pen. I've got the decision making over that pen. Now, if you ask me the pen and I say, here, take the pen, then it is my authority that releases that pen into your care. But if I say no, then you can do nothing about it but try to steal that pen from me. And we see this happening today. And sadly, I must say, also in some churches this happened, where people are dabbling into the secret world of God. It is called the occult. It is called when mankind want to go into the spiritual realm and try to find out what the future holds. And it's future foretelling. And we find a lot of that under the banner of so-called prophecies today from people who do not know what they are talking about. You see, friend, the secret things of God belong unto Him and it sits under His authority and He will decide whether He gives it to us or not. He says then there in that verse, but those things which are revealed belongs unto us. And this is the Latin word Deus Revelatus. And you and, you and I know because in our Bible there is a whole book which is called Revelation. And let me just correct so many people. It is not revelations, a group of revelations. It is one revelation that God gave John the Apostle. Now what is revelation then? A revelation or revelatus, Deus Revelatus is to lift the veil, to reveal slowly but surely for you and for me what God's secret things are. And we see this in the book of Revelation. We see that God gives us, uh, uh, you know, chapter by chapter, He lifts the veil and we can see the secret things of God. Another passage is when, you know, uh, they talk about life after death. And in the book of Luke, chapter 16, I believe, he talks about, um, you know, Lazarus when he dies and he went to, to the grave and went into Hades and he could see Moses. It is a revelation of things we can't see. Now, God never declares everything to man. And this preacher can tell you this. In my 25 years of studying and preaching the word of God, uh, the privilege of doing this, I can tell you that there is year on year and every time I open up the Bible, there is new revelations from God, which I see from every passage. Every single passage has got something new from God for me. And let me repeat this. It's, it's always been there. But as I grow in maturity with the Lord, He allows me to see more things. He has the right to these secrets because he is God. Now let's continue on in the narrative. In Mark chapter 9 verse 33, Then he came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, 
What is it that you disputed amongst yourself on the road? But they kept silent, for on the road they had disputed amongst themselves who would be the greatest. What a debate. And this is absolutely fascinating to me. Because, my dear friend, it happens in our day as well. The question is every day out there. Who is the greatest? It is something that you and I, we've got it in our DNA. From childhood, we compete against others. We always want to be better than others. We always want to be the best. Uh, we find this, you know, when I remember when we played in the schoolyard and you've got two teams and they choose two captains and the captains can then choose from a group of people, their team players. So your first choice is always to go for the best. Why? Because we want to beat the other team. And here we find the disciples, just people like us, they did the same thing. Now, it's really interesting when you look at this, and I'm trying to, to think how this conversation would have gone. You know, here is the three, Peter, James, and John coming down from the mountain. And down in the valley is the nine other disciples who are having their own commotion with casting out demons and having problems with that. Jesus said to the three at the Mount of Transfiguration, do not tell the others what you saw. So they've got a secret now and might feel a little bit more important. And as they come down into the valley, Jesus then walked with them on this long road down to Capernaum. And while they walk, and maybe in a little group they walk, and Jesus a little bit with his own thoughts afar off, I can just imagine how this conversation started. In fact, it'll be great one day to be in heaven and to talk to the disciples and ask them and come back to this verse and this passage and say, who started this conversation? It would have been really great. I think, and this is only my thoughts, and please don't see this as, you know, my revelation of things, but this preacher thinks that the man who might have started this was Peter himself. Because think about this. As they walked down from the mountain, uh, Peter might have said, guys, I, I wonder who's the greatest of us. You know, who's the best amongst this group of 12, 12 people? And he would have put down his case. Well, it is, it is me who received the revelation from God to call Jesus the Messiah. And it is I who spoke up on the mountain when I saw these things that happened up there. I can't tell you guys what happened up there. You know, that's always making you a little bit special. You know, when you come to your people and say, oh, the boss told me something, but hey, I can't tell you guys what he told me. It makes you that little bit more special. And Peter could have, you know, put his stick in the ground and say, I'm the best, you know, because I'm seen as the leader. It's always me speaking out. Peter, James and John, my name is always first. And he could have said that. But Andrew, Andrew might have said, oh, well, wait a minute. Just hold your horses there. Wasn't it me who got you to Jesus? So surely then I'm more important than you. You wouldn't have had anything of this if it wasn't for me. Let me just, let me just bring it back to us. I hear that so often when people get into arguments. That's one thing they go to. If it wasn't for me, if it wasn't for I, me, myself and I. So maybe Andrew put down his case and he says, come on, brother, you you know that it was me who find the Messiah, not you. you. You're just a follower and now you're trying to take the spotlight and the highlight upon you. 
But whoa, whoa, says James and John. Whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute. You guys hold your horses. Let's think about this. Wasn't it us, the first disciples? We're with Jesus longer than any one of you. We spent so much time with him. And, and let me say, dear friend, I've heard this argument so many times in churches. I remember growing up as a young man in a church and, and there was somebody else in the church who said that, you know, they will always be special because, you know, I must admit that I came late to Christ. I, uh, the Lord saved my soul in my 20s, but this particular person was saved in his teens. And he says, I will always be more special than you because, you know, I was saved at a younger age. That could have been the discussion from John and James. Hey, we've been with Jesus from the beginning. You guys came on later. And they could have said those things there. Hey, but a Judas Iscariot, he could have said, Oh, no, 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 no. Wait a minute. I'm walking with the purse. I'm the accountant. I'm the money man. Surely you don't give your finances to just anybody. You give it to the best man. You give it to the guy who's better than anybody else. Come on. Look at you, Matthew. You're a tax collector. People say that you, st you steal money from others. Uh, people dislike you in society. You surely can't be the best here. Uh, uh, Matthew could kick back and say, hey, but wait a minute. You can't deny my brilliant brain to do what I've did. And then, and then you know, Nathaniel just chips in here over the shoulder and he comes. He says, whoa, guys, let's just have a look at this whole situation. You guys are fishermen. A lot of you are fishermen. Matthew, yes, yeah, um, Judas is correct that you are a little bit, you, you know, you're a thief. You, you're all of these things. But I, I, Nathaniel, I'm a little bit more educated. You remember when Nathaniel was found, where, where he was? He was under the fig tree. What did he do there? He was meditating on scriptures about whom? The Christ. And that is when he was found, it was said unto him that we found the Christ from Nazareth. And he's the one who said, can anything good come from Nazareth? So his point, uh, his, his claim to fame in this little group could have been, wait a minute, but I am the clever guy. I'm the more study guy. I went to university. Oh man, I can absolutely laugh at this, dear brother and sister and friend. Because I hear these conversations on a daily, a weekly, a monthly, a yearly basis. When people talk about this trying to be the best. And now they come into the presence of Jesus and Jesus asked them this question. Now, it must have been a really intense question. Why do I say that? Because Jesus brings this point up. He said, what is it that you disputed amongst yourself on the road? He uses the word dispute, not disgust. They disputed. So one chipped in and the other one came overboard and over the top of that. And they was silent and you know it, it happens in my life sometimes when you've got an argument with somebody or you've got a dispute with somebody and you bring all of your points out to the top and you know a little bit later maybe the next day the next morning you think over those things and you go that was silly that was so childish and maybe these disciples felt you know that conversation you know it was a little bit of a waste of time but Jesus uses this situation brilliantly because he does something interesting now. Let's look at Mark 9 verse 35. He sat down and he called the twelve and said to them, If any one of you desire to be first, he shall be last 
of all of the servants and, and the servant of all. Well, this is really interesting because he asked him and they didn't tell him what it was about, but he's just on the money. He talks about this. Who wants to be first needs to be last and then he needs to be a servant of all. The word for servant here is the word diakonos. And that is where we find our word deacon from. And we see in the book of Acts that a deacon is someone who serves the tables. And the literal meaning of this actually is to kick dust. And what do you mean by that, preacher? Well, to kick dust is a servant who runs between the tables as quickly as he can to serve the others. And by running there, his feet is kicking up little puffs of dust. That's the eagerness of serving the others. Now remember, this is coming from a servant king. This is the whole emphasis that Mark is bringing to us in this gospel. We are serving the servant king. And Jesus uses this now. He says that he needs to be like a deacon, a servant to serve others. And this is a good lesson for us. If you really want others to respect you, the answer is you serve them. Now, Jesus also said this, and Matthew writes this in Matthew 23, verse 12. He says, and whoever exalts himself, self-exaltation, will be humbled. And we've seen that so many times. This preacher has experienced it so many times in his own life. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. This is so marvelous. Now let's take Peter, which I think started this conversation. Now I'm not 100% putting it down as gospel, but I think he started the conversation. The penny dropped for him. Because later on I find him when he writes his letter to us, and to the churches, that he, he puts it this way in 1 Peter chapter 5, 5. He says, likewise, you younger people, learn from us. Now, that's not what he's saying, but he should have said that. He says, likewise, you younger people, submit yourself to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. In other words, disciples, you had this whole dispute amongst you. Who's the greatest? I'm telling you, if you want to be the greatest, you need to be last and you need to be a deacon, a servant of all. And now he takes a really interesting direction. He uses a child as a prop. Let me explain. Mark 9, 36, then he took a little child and set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one of these little children in my name receives me. And whoever receives me, receives not me, but him who've sent me. Now I've got three grandchildren. I've got Michael. Michael is at um, one year and six months old, I think. And I look at that little boy when I read this. And I asked myself the question, Jesus, what do you want to teach me looking at that little boy? And then I've got Matthew. Matthew is Michael's brother and he's younger. And Matthew is maybe eight months old now. And I look at that little baby boy and I go, what does that boy can teach me about service, about serving? And then we've got a little beautiful granddaughter called Isla. 
Now, Ayla's is similar to Michael, same age, maybe a month or so younger. And Ayla, every time they're living in Sydney, and obviously we live in Melbourne, and we Skype them from time to time. And I see this little girl running around in the room, into the camera, out of the camera. And I look at this passage and I thought about it. Jesus, what can little Isla teach me about serving? And the answer to that, my friend, is much, a lot. Let's follow it. Why did Jesus use a child? Well, we need to see a child, how they saw children in those days. And may I say, even today. The fact is that children in that society were at the bottom of the social ladder. They were at the bottom. They were viewed as mere property and largely were ignored by most adults. Why? Why would you say this? It might sound really harsh when I say these words, but it is true. Because listen, we are talking about a social standing here. These men were debating who is the greatest in their social standing. In that context, if you look at the little child, then you would say, we can ignore the children because they play no part in a social standing. They really can't do anything for adults in a social standing. They can't improve a person's position in society. And they cannot add to any of the success of the parent in the social society. They can't make you more important in the eyes of the world. And this is now why Jesus brought a child into the midst of them and put that child down and he says, look at this child. Whoever receives this little children in my name receives me. What is he telling us? He tells us that we can learn much from a child. Think about when a child is born. What do they, what, what happens here when a child is born? They demand everything. I look at these little three grandchildren of mine and I can see this happening. They demand everything from their parents, from their grandparents, from their aunts and uncles and everybody. If their nappy is dry and maybe stinky and so on, they just put up a cry and everybody needs to run to them and clean them up. That's a sign of service, isn't it? If you come to clean their nappies, you are serving them. You are making something intolerable better for them. If they are hungry, what do they do? They just start crying and you need to run around and make a, a bottle for them or you need to prepare food for them. And then you bring that food to them and you give it to them. What is that? That is service. You are servicing that baby. You're giving them service. And, and they take that food and they mess it. They throw it all over the place. They mess their faces. They mess their clothes. And what do you do? You don't leave it like that. You clean up the environment. You take them to a bath and you bath them. This is all signs of service. This is why Jesus brings this little child into their midst. They need constant cuddles. They need constant care and attention. And you are serving them. You know, again, I was meditating upon this and I thought about my children and my grandchildren. When that child is born, when my children were born, you give and you give and you give and you give and you keep on giving to them everything that you have. When they grow up, 
what happens? You keep on giving to them. You give and you give and you give. They ask and you give. And now in this time, and I'm privileged to be at a young age experiencing this because I do have grandchildren. You know what I find? Even if they reach adulthood, you give and you give and you keep on giving. So he, Jesus uses a child here because children need to be served. But here is the message. They cannot serve us in return. I'm not talking about the smiles and the joy they give you. That's not serving you. It's not as if uh, little Michael, who is now all over, is learning to talk, is learning to play, running around and everything. It's not as if he's going to tell his dad, now, dad, you sit down and I'm going to make you a cup of coffee. He can't do that. That's the thing. That's the message. That's the point. Too often, we only serve those who can do something in return for us. And this is the commotion that went on. Why do you think that disciples wanted to be the greatest? Why? Because they were looking for people to serve them. And they would go around and say, I will give you something if you serve me back. This is not the Christian way of serving. So yes, we can learn much from children. And the only message is this. They didn't have to open up their mouth to teach us. We can only look at the point that Jesus was making. The way that you serve that little child. This is why Jesus says um, to, to the disciples, whoever receives one of these little children in my name receives me. Now, here is, here is the extension of that message to you and me in a spiritual sense. The Bible often talks about us in a spiritual sense being born again as little children. So how does this apply to us? Well, there are others. There's, there is others or are others out there who are little children in the faith. And we need to serve them not expecting anything back from them. How can you do this? Keep on praying for them. Keep on giving them the word. Keep on being nice to them. This is how you serve in a spiritual sense. And this is such a brilliant way that Jesus used a little child to teach you and me how to serve one another. Well, I'll leave it there for now. And next week we can continue walking with Jesus on this wonderful road. My prayer and my hope is that you've learned something. As surely I did something from this message. In Jesus' name, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for Jesus who came to teach us. And thank you, Lord, that you open up your hearts to receive this. We pray this in the wonderful, wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.